And for our scripture reading this morning, we'll turn to the gospel according to Matthew in chapter 26, starting a new section here. Whenever the gospels use these words, now it came to pass, especially in the gospel of Luke, it signals the starting of a new section. So chapter 26, and we'll read the verses 1 through 56. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now it came to pass, when Jesus had finished all these sayings, that he said to his disciples, You know that after two days is the Passover. The Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priest, the scribes, and the elders of the people assembled at the, high, at the palace of the high priest, who was called Caiaphas, and plotted to take Jesus by trickery and kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. And when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil, and she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. But when his disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not have always. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. Assuredly, I say to you, Wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him thirty pieces of silver. So from that time he sought opportunity to betray him. Now on the first day of the feast of the unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying to him, where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to, the, to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When the evening had come, he sat down with the twelve. And now as they were eating, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. And each of them began to say to him, Lord, is it I? And he answered and said, He who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? And he said to him, You have said it. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And then he took the cup, and gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on, until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. 
And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter answered and said to him, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that this night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, Even if I had to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. And then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time, he went away and prayed, saying, O my father, if this cup cannot pass from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away again and prayed a third time, saying the same words. And he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hand of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now his betrayer had given them a sign, saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one, seize him. And immediately when he went up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. But Jesus said to him, Friend, why have you come? And then they came and lay hands on Jesus and took him. And suddenly one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. But Jesus said to him, Put your sword in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think, that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he will provide me with more than twelve legions of angels. How then could the scripture be fulfilled, that it must happen thus? In that hour Jesus said to the multitudes, Have you come out as against a robber, with swords and clubs to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple, and you did not seize me. But all this was done, that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. As far as the reading of Scripture and our text that we wish to consider this morning are the first five verses where Jesus tells his disciples once again. Verse 2 says, You know that after two days is the Passover, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. 
dear congregation. Many of you know that well-known hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And how it says, oh, what needless pain we bear, and what peace we often forfeit, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. And if you think here, what kind of a friend Jesus was showing Himself to be, we see here that absolute certainty, the absolute determination of the Lord Jesus Christ to go to the cross for His people. And we see that in comparison with these disciples themselves as they're often so doubting, so weak in faith, so bewildered by what's happening, and yet Christ so lovingly and patiently and compassionately leads them and even helps those around them while they follow Him in such boldness sometimes and yet such questioning doubts at other times. And if we think of our, own, of our own lives, with the many challenges that we face, despite the many weaknesses and failures that we have in our own lives, can we then not also be assured that Christ is always the same as He reveals Himself to be here? That He is ever faithful and ever sure? And even when we face those insurmountable obstacles in our life, or when it seems like our life can be turned upside down, and we think the end is near, and yet God remains the same. And we can be assured that He is in control of everything. And that is also what we wish to consider here from these verses, under the theme of the certainty of Christ's crucifixion, the certainty of Christ's crucifixion. Because here Jesus really shows us the certainty of His crucifixion, of His determination to go to that cross, all to assure us that this was all done according to God's decree, to God's purpose. It's recorded for us in Scripture. It's prophesied in Scripture. And so for us to understand not only why Christ died, but even how He died and how He was determined to go, it teaches us that even all our lives are in God's hands, even as the life of the Lord Jesus was. And so then we see that nothing in our life is a shock to God as it comes to us, even though often the wicked in this world do not understand anything of why there are sufferings or trials or why this world is going the way it is. And yet, for those who know, who believe in the Lord, it's no longer a mystery, is it? No longer a mystery. What God reveals in, to us in His Word, these great truths. And so that's our first thought. It's not a shock to God. Nothing comes as a shock to God. We can easily be shocked when we hear some terrible news or when we see the things that happen. It can often send us into doubts or fears. It can often make us feel like our world has been tipped upside down. But you can find that peace and that trust in the immovable God, the rock of our salvation, the God who holds this world in His hands, and knowing that nothing comes as a surprise to Him. 
Now think of these disciples, children. They followed the Lord Jesus. And they were enjoying their time with the Lord wherever he traveled. And here they came to Jerusalem. And then they put him on a donkey. The Lord had asked for this colt. And they put clothes on, uh, coats on the top of the donkey. They put coats on the, on the streets and palm branches. And there they walked with him into the city. The children began singing Hosanna to the son of David. And he came into Jerusalem like a king. Then he went to the temple and he, he, he threw out all the marketing people there, all the cattle and all the people making business. He cleared the temple with that holy zeal. And then he taught the people. How wonderful it would have been for them to be with this Jesus, this promised son of David, this Messiah who was going to restore the kingdom to Israel. And so these disciples, they walk along with Jesus. Now they're leaving the temple, and some of those disciples look up at that great temple, those huge stones that Solomon had brought there, and they tell the Lord Jesus, and they say, look at those magnificent stones. And maybe they were thinking, well, isn't that just a wonderful temple to have in your kingdom when you become king? You can see what these disciples might have been thinking. They envisioned that they would be the ones reigning with Christ. Some of them had already asked, can we have a seat on your right and left? They often argued about who would be the greatest in that kingdom. What does Jesus say? In chapter 24, verse 2, he says, Not one stone will be left standing on top of the other of this beautiful temple. There will be utter destruction and chaos of this temple and city. And what a shock. Imagine the shock of the disciples when Jesus told them that. And then naturally they asked the question, When will this happen? And so in chapter 24, the Lord Jesus goes on to tell the disciples, Not... When? Because he says no one will know, and not just of the end of Jerusalem, but he goes on to tell them something of the terrible things that will happen in the end of the world, the end of the age. And then he says Christ will come back in the clouds of heaven. And he says we must all be ready for that time. The disciples, you, me, we all must be ready for that moment. And what a shock. And these disciples, they thought this was the beginning the beginning of the kingdom, the beginning of splendor and glory. But Jesus is talking about the end. Jesus is talking about destruction. But we also, we can read, Christians are to reign with Christ. He says they're a royal priesthood, a special nation. Kings and priests. And often believers, they think when they come to faith that everything will be all well in their life. It'll go from strength to strength, and it'll get better and better. The Lord will bless them. And often we think, oh, we're going to do great things for God. I'm going to be this bold missionary. I'm going to be whatever you might think. But it is a beginning. But it's so much different than we envision, isn't it? So much different what God is in mind, what God is in store, than what we anticipate. And Jesus continues, he goes on and tells them about the final judgment when he comes, where that judge, the king, will sit on that throne in Matthew 25 or 32, and all the nations will be gathered in front of him. Can you imagine that, children? Every single person who ever lived in this world will be gathered in front of Christ. And what will he do? He says there the king will begin to separate the sheep 
from the goats, the righteous ones from the unrighteous, the believers from the unbelievers. He talks about the faithful servants who will be rewarded and the unfaithful servants who will be punished. He talks about the wise virgins who will be brought into the kingdom and the foolish virgins who will be cast out, shut out. And here we have to stand before that king who knows our every thought or every secret or every sin or every good thought or every bad thought or every good deed because he says there in, in, in chapter 25 and verse 35, he says, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. He knows what we do. He knows what we think, how we, how we look at the strangers, how we look at the poor, how we look at the needy. And what awe and what wonder must have filled the hearts of those disciples. What amazement to hear of that glory and of that power. Maybe again they were being lifted up thinking, well, where am I going to be in that kingdom? When will we be part of this kingdom? But then what a shock when in chapter 26 in our text it says, now it came to pass. When Jesus had finished all these sayings, all these sayings about this glory, this kingdom, this destruction, he says, you know that after two days is the Passover and the Son of Man is delivered to be crucified. Now it's interesting, there's nothing recorded here about what the disciples asked Jesus, but it appears there's nothing but silence, shock, a wonder. Aren't you the judge? Aren't you the coming king? Crucified? How can that be? They, they don't understand. Later, the Lord Jesus, as we read in verse 31, says, you, you will all be scattered like sheep. Does that sound like a king who can lead his people? What a shocking statement. Peter can't believe. He says, even if everyone else leaves you, I will never leave you. Even if I have to die for you, I will not leave you, Peter says. Never. We are your faithful disciples. How, how could we ever forsake you? And how offended some people can be when they consider themselves to be Christians, but people warn them, watch for that sin. Watch for that temptation. Watch for that worldliness that draws you and your children away. And they say, us? We would never leave Christ. We will never fall. We could never do that. Our friends will never lead us into sin. But what a shock. When Jesus says in verse 21, even one of you, my own disciples, will betray me. And they all say, I? Me? Is that possible? Or how shocked we are when we see someone who is such a professing Christian fall away. Verse 56, all the disciples forsook him and fled. Even Peter. What a shock to us, but never to God. He prophesied, he warned that this would happen. It does not come as a shock to God, as nothing surprises God, especially not the crucifixion of his own dear son, his own well-beloved son, do you not think that he knew exactly what was to happen? Because the Bible says he was foreordained from before the foundation of the world. That he might come to die. That his blood that was shed on the cross would 
redeem his people and purify them from their sins. You know, Jesus said, that after two days is the Passover, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. This plan had been in the works for 4,000 years already. Now it's only two days left. Just two days. What a certainty. What often comes as a shock to us in our life is known perfectly to God. And just like God sent His Son into this world, so He cares for His own children who through Him come to God. But then secondly, these ways of God are not understood by the wicked. Not understood by the wicked. What, what shocks us most often is not really what happens, but often even how it happens or how it comes to pass. Because we see the horrific evil in this world. We see the total absurdity of the wickedness that is being done in our nation and around us. It's so blatantly obvious that it is evil, that it is corrupt, but they cover it up in deception and they sugarcoat it and they make it sound like it's for the benefit of the people. Now look at verse 3. Then the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders of the people assembled at the palace of the high priest, who was called Caiaphas, and plotted to take Jesus by trickery and kill him. And they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. So here these religious leaders come together, they plotted, they made up a plan to, to kill the Lord Jesus, but they were going, they were going to do it by a trickery, by, by deception. They'd have to do it on the sly to make it look good as if they could hide this from God. Religious leaders doing it to hide it from God, whose eyes are in every place beholding the wicked and the good. They realized that the feast days would not be a good time to kill Jesus. Because many of the people loved the Lord. They loved to hear Him speak. They went to Him for healing and for, to see His miracles. And they said, well, if we, if we arrest Him during the feast days, we're going to have an uproar. We're going to have an uprising. And then we're not going to be able to kill Him because the mobs of the people will want to defend Him. So they want to wait at least eight days till the feast was over. There was a seven-day period after the Passover. So you'd have to wait till at least after that. And they had to use stealth because they don't know. They don't understand who Christ is. They do not understand that everything is in God's control in this world. They are acting out of their own enmity and out of their own evil heart against God. But what Jesus really says here in verse 2, He says, you know that after two days is the Passover and the Son of Man will be delivered. That where it says will be delivered is actually what's called a prophetic presence in present tense which in the King James is translated, is betrayed. This is not just something that's going to happen, it's something that is happening in the present, even though it'll take two days to be fully worked out. It's, it's Christ who is so certain that He has ordained everything. This is what's going to happen, even though these rulers say, no, it's going to be eight days. Christ says, no, two days. 
And so they come up with this plan. But then something happens. Judas was not happy that the money was wasted from that fragrant oil. And it seems like he's had enough. And he goes to the chief priests. And he wants to know how much money he can get for betraying Jesus if he's not going to get it any other way. Judas was a thief. He stole money from the bag of the disciples. But he wanted more. And so Judas' greed really speeds up the process of what these rulers had intended. See, Judas did not understand who Jesus was or why he had to be crucified. He wanted his money. And his sinful greed would cause him to do anything, even murder his own friend, his own master, for 30 pieces of silver. And so you can see they're all working so hard to get their own will, their own goals, but they don't understand, do they? But God knows. God knows. And even here we begin to see the divine direction and providence working all things together for good, that even though the nations plot together against Christ and against His church, that God is still directing everything. He's using Judas's greed for money here. He's using the chief priest's hatred for him to work together to fulfill God's will. And at the exact time that is appointed by God, Jesus said two days. They wanted to wait eight days. And the way it's written here in verse 3, it says, Then the chief priest, so it's, it's as if as soon as Jesus said this, the scribes and Pharisees were meeting also. So it's almost like they say the same thing, at the, or say, say it at the same time. Two different plans, but God overrules. But how tragic, isn't it? that they don't understand. They've all witnessed the work of Christ. They've heard His authoritative words, but those are the words that infuriated them with and filled them with hatred. They saw those miracles of healing when the Lord came in the midst, but it was those very miracles that filled them with jealousy and with envy, with pride, with self-righteousness. They did not understand that love and compassion of the Lord as He came and He healed the sick. He laid His hands on the lepers and He raised the dead to life. And how He said, how I would have gathered you all together as a hen gathers her chicks, but you were not willing. They did not see His compassion for their souls, but they came with a multitude of soldiers to kill Him. And even in their hatred, you see their fear because they had come with such a large mob against this gentle and meek Savior. They don't understand how they can freely approach this Lord Jesus who said, come unto me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. But they sent Judas to betray him with a kiss. They say, you've been close to him before. Can you betray him to us? as if the soldiers had never seen Jesus before, as if Jesus didn't know why Judas would be coming in that way, as if we can hide anything from God. God knows. Verse 24, Jesus said, The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of Him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It be better, had been good for Him that He had not been born. God knows because even though they came to him with a multitude of soldiers, 
Jesus said he could call down more than 12 legions of angels to protect him. That's 72,000 angels. Jesus would have no problem to defend himself. He's the Lord of hosts, and yet he let himself be taken captive. They don't understand who they're dealing with. But Jesus said in verse 56, all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled, including the fact that his own disciples fled. Do you understand, children, people, brothers and sisters? Do you understand what we are doing when we hear God's word? When we hear his promises, when we hear his curses, when we hear his blessings, when you hear his commands, do you understand what God is saying to you? Why Christ had to be crucified? See, the ungodly rulers and leaders do not. They still try to silence Christ in this nation. They still plot secretly in the palaces of our nations. They still make evil plans that they hope no one will notice. They don't want to do it in the open because they know people will rebel. Those who like to hear Christ and His Word. But even now, bills are continually being made to suppress the freedom of Christians in this land, the freedom to speak God's Word freely in public, in the streets or even to freely proclaim from this pulpit what God's Word says is being hindered. And it all comes into this nation subtly, craftily, through the side doors, all aiming at the death of Christ and His Word. But it's not just the nations, is it? We all have our own will. We all want to do our own thing and go our own way. And when we do that, we do it subtly. We do it behind our parents' back. We do it behind closed doors. We go our own way. We do it, we plot, we plan how we can get our own way instead of following God's way, instead of following our parents, instead of following the Lord and His Word. We do it in secret. But they don't understand why Christ had to be crucified, as he said on so many occasions. They don't understand why he came into this world willingly to live without sin and to be crucified, the just one for the unjust, that he came to die for the very people who were coming to kill him, that he came to lay down his life for the very ones who hated him. They do not understand. But Jesus does. Jesus does. We are all born in sin, at enmity with God, without God and without hope in this world. We do not understand when God initially calls us from this world to turn, to flee from the lust of this world, and to turn away from the natural desires of our hearts, to fight against that. But what do we understand when God says, come to me? This is why the Lord Jesus here, he goes to meet his betrayer in verse 46. He goes to meet the mob 
he will capture him because scripture needed to be fulfilled. And that is why now in our last thought, it's no longer a mystery to God's people. For those of you who believe, it's not a mystery anymore. Jesus said to his disciples, you know, that after two days is the Passover and the Son of Man must be delivered to be crucified. See, the Lord doesn't hide what he's doing. He, he told him plainly, even though the disciples at that time didn't understand it. But he, he's basically saying, you already know. You already know. I've told you many times. And because you already know, you should be prepared for what's coming. He told him in Matthew 20, verse 18, Matthew 16, verse 21, Matthew 17, verse 22. He said, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed. He's going to be killed. He's going to be crucified. But he's going to raise again the third day. Initially, it brought such sorrow. But when they remembered those words after he rose, it was the joy of their hearts. And this means that you here today also know we are not left with any excuse. You know every promise that God is showing you in His Word. Even though the disciples here at this time did not understand what exactly this all meant, they knew because He told them. But when it happened, they fled. Really, they could not do anything else. That was also needed because the Lord Jesus had to go to that cross alone. He said He had to walk this path alone. He says they have to tread this wine press alone. There was no one who could stand with him in this suffering as he faced the wrath of God against our sin. But now we know. And later his disciples understood that Christ came to die for the ungodly, for sinners. Here God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us so that we can be reconciled to God. No, you do not need to improve yourself before God will receive you. But it is in Christ that you and I as sinners are to come and lay down our life before Him. Now we know that when Christ died on the cross, His death was a sacrifice for our sins. That there God's wrath was poured out on him because of our sins. Now you know that Christ needed to suffer there on the cross so that he could take sinners and change them from enemies into friends, enemies into children. He needed to be betrayed and crucified so that betrayers can be turned into lovers, enmity into love that your guilt of your sin that plagues you day to day can be replaced by peace with God. That even though these disciples here did not understand yet, this had to happen. This was prophesied and executed according to His will perfectly. And what does that mean now? That means that every wicked ruler even today is in God's hand. That He sets one up and brings another down, He says. He turns the king's hearts like a river, and so he can turn yours. And that means out of the love of her heart, we read about Mary who anointed the Lord Jesus, as he said, in preparation for his burial. It was done according to Scripture. 
that out of the greed of his heart, Judas, he betrayed his master. Yes, but according to Scripture. Those mob of soldiers came, but according to Scripture. God's word is always true, and God is always in control. And now you know what a comfort that is to know, as our Lord's Day 10 so beautifully expresses in our confession of God's providence in our lives, where it says, what advantage is it to us to know that God is created by His providence still upholds all things. And it says that we may be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity. That also means thankful in adversity, by the way. And that in all things which may hereafter befall us, we place our firm trust in our faithful God and Father that nothing shall separate us from His love since all His creatures are so in His hand that without His will they cannot so much as move. Do you ever think about that? That without His will you cannot so much as move. That means nothing is really a mystery to us. That whatever happens in our life is directed by God. That whether He takes us and sets us aside from His service for a few months, it's in His hand. That whether He takes you in health or strength or sickness, it's all in His hand. That whether we try to plot to do something evil, we can't escape His control. And so whether it's sickness, pestilence, old or young, healthy or sick, whether we face cancer, loneliness, hunger, cold, even, even death, you know God already knows. It's already in His works, in His plans. And so then we also know this, that it's not a mystery when disasters strike our land. As He said in Matthew 24, in fact, as the Bible shows us, we can expect judgment to come upon our land because of how we have forsaken God. We can expect to hear of wars and rumors of wars, but the Lord says, see that you are not troubled. See that you're not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. 24, verse 7 and 8, there will be famines, pestilence, earthquakes in various places, and all these are the beginnings of sorrows. You know these things, dear believers. So take courage through them because it goes deeper than that. The Lord Jesus goes on and says, it's no longer a mystery when the world hates you. He said in John 20, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. It's no longer a mystery to you because you know that the world hates you because it hated him first. You'll face persecution even though we don't understand it all, even though it becomes at the hands of wicked men, though we might flee or become afraid. It's not even a mystery when we betray one another. Many Judases come out from among your closest friends and companions. 
They pierce your very heart with sorrow. And here the disciples had to learn first the depths in which they had to travel before they could participate in the victory that was so promised to them, the glory of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And even now we must learn that it's through these trials that we must learn to live by faith in the cross of Christ. Because this is our victory, even our, our faith, through the cross of Christ alone, that by his death we die to sin in this world. We are separated from the world, dead to the temptations, to the allurements of this world. Have you died to the world? But even to the persecutions of this world. To consider it all joy to suffer for Christ's sake. Before we will see the glories of the kingdom. But then, it's also not a mystery anymore of what will come hereafter. That Christ died so you might live. That even though death draws nigh, to us we can live in that hope. John, 1 John 5 says, These things have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. You know that because Christ died, you have died to sin, and that by His Holy Spirit which He gives, you've been raised to eternal life. And that when He will return, you will also be raised with Christ incorruptible. And there you will meet the crucified, but the risen Savior one day. No longer the one who is hated and tormented on this world, but the one who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords sitting on the throne of glory. Then you will see Him no longer as the slain Lamb, but the judge of heaven and of earth. And then with certainty you can know that you all will stand before that judgment seat, before His throne. We will all stand there as the nations are gathered together in front of His throne. No one will be missing. But then a day will come where He will begin to separate us, the one from the other, the sheep on the right and the goats on the left. And you who believe in the Son know that you have life. Then he will say, inherit that kingdom that is prepared for you from the foundation of the world, chapter 25 or 34 says. Do you long to hear those words? Do you know you will hear those words? But you who do not believe, know that you do not have life. And that means you still must meet this living God. And then you also know which side you will be sent to. But this even is said to you today. That you may know why Christ has died and that Christ has died. And that Christ has determined to die. That he was betrayed and that he was crucified. So that you even today can be saved. Because he faced that for sinners. And then you can know where you will stand on that last day because He has merited that salvation for His people. He laid down His life. He shed His blood. He took that wrath of God to pay for sin. And then He says, whoever calls upon His name shall be saved. It's not a mystery anymore. 
that we must be saved, that we can be saved, that here is the way of salvation, that there's no other way of salvation. And then all your hope and comfort is found in this Christ who was so determined to go to the cross for you, for me. Though we are so filled with flaws and shortcomings, so prone to wander, so filled with doubt and fear so quickly like these disciples, yet He is the faithful one. He is the Savior of sinners. Jesus said there's no greater friend than he who lays down his life for his friends. And this is what Christ did while we were yet sinners. Do you know him? Do you know where you stand before him? Your firm hope and trust is in this God who holds your life in his hands even today, even now. In the God who sees you, even if you are plotting to go your own way, turn to him today and be saved. Because he is the way, the truth, and the life. He has come to save his people. Amen. Let us pray.